She's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And And this this is Far Out. A podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. But man, if you walk two weeks through the freaking jungle and you don't even get the pleasure of of high-horsing it a bit, what's the point? (laughs) What's the point? And then that same person was like, I love you? In a question. In a question mark. I love you? You are like having a crisis, and 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 it, that came on because you lost this game of gin rummy, and all of a sudden I'm looking like, oh, oh boy, something's <laughs> happening here. So, <laughs> everything was carnivorous. It was like we had walked into a a, a place that was Jum- alive, oh, like and it Jumanji. was but yeah, and it was gonna eat us. Like that was the plan. Like this was a big honey trap. And we were the foolish travelers that thought it was safe. It was a horror movie. <laughs> well, hello, beautiful listener. I'm so happy you're here. And welcome to a brand new episode of Far Out Podcast. Hey there. Welcome. Oh, I love you. I'm so happy you're here. You are in for a treat yes, this week. Yes, yes. We are on chapter two of Trekking in the Himalayas. Chapter two. And what I hope we will be able to impart through this experience or this story is the craziness, the messiness, the the 360 degree view of what it feels like to actually do something so stupid <laughs> as take a one man tent, a shitty map, and have no idea what you're doing and go into a completely different culture, get lost and try to find your way out of it. With someone you've only known for a month and a half. Yeah, that is the premise for this story. And we're really hoping to have you step in our shoes and really explore it from different angles and and see just how crazy, how crazy we are. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. Hello. Good afternoon. Good evening. Wherever you are, whoever you are. Hi. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. (laughs) Alistair, I just, now that I'm like actually sitting in front of you, I realize you just shaved this morning. You look very nice. Thank you. Very clean cut. Yeah, I just shaved my beard, reduced it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I look like a prophet. You do, you yeah. do. He tried to convert me into like joining him because he was the son of God or something. We, nah, whatever. Yeah, you know your hair is getting long when you get on a FaceTime with your mom, and the, kind of the first reaction is, "Whoa, your hair's long," <laughs> which is code for, "Are you thinking about cutting it?" You know, maybe you're gonna have it cut soon. That's what that means in mom language. <laughs> Uh, well, do you have a few updates for us? This I got week? one. I got a French joke. Well, you have a French well, joke. So I think if you listen to the show, you know we often like to look look at each other's cultures, yes. French and American, yes, through the lens of the other one, and just see what's funny about it. <laughs> and uh, I had a moment the other day. Again, this was while we were working with our uh, with our landlords and Sydney, who we work with. 
she she must she asked some question in French, and I don't know what the question was. But then uh, the answer was something, and and uh, and I just noticed something that's pretty funny or uh, interesting about how uh, French and Americans swear. Yes. So, shit, the word shit, which is merde yes. in in French. So an American would usually say it's it's very it's very kind of quick. It's like shit. Yeah, it's shit. pointed. Shit, shit. It's yeah. very fast. Yes. You know, oh shit. Yeah. It's like that. Wow. The French have perfected <laughs> the way to say mad, the way to say shit. And it has a lot more emphasis. It sounds a lot worse than the, than the American equivalent. So yeah. I just heard it. I was like, whoa. I think it's because she like m missed the phone. Like the phone rang and she was outside or something because I remember hearing it too. So, so this is kind of what it sounds like. It's like, Oh mad, yeah, mad. It's like the emphasis is at the end, and it's just like, whoa, she's pissed. It's got a whole different feeling to it. It's uh, yeah, it's just it's like this. Oh man, it's just it's like the the entire world is against you. Yeah, it's you like know? all falling apart, yes, and yes. it all lands on that last D, yeah. and it's just terrible. Yeah, yeah, it's like the merda. Yeah, like something like mad. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's uh, all about <laughs> it's all about really like kind of dragging it, and I think this says something <laughs> about the French and American. Mindset Difference and philosophy. In, it's yeah. like I don't know. There's a bit of that feet dragging in France yes. that, that you oh, can hear is, for sure. That, that you can hear in that mad. <laughs> you can hear it there. It's a way of life that you guys. And you can hear the fast pace. Get to the next yeah. thing. Go shit, go, shit, go, shit. go 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 go. Oh shit! shit I'm shit. excited. Shit. <laughs> 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 oh my god this is already so much swearing i'm glad that we now have the explicit content on our yeah. podcast yeah. well thanks for bearing through that i hope you learned something these are the things when you learn when you live in a different culture long enough i guess all right what are we talking about today today we're going to continue on the story we started last week which is our trek through the himalayas and if you recall we're trekking through the himalayas with a pretty bad whitewater rafting map mm -hmm. and a one-person tent. That's right. And when we say one-person tent, we really mean it. It's about two and a half feet wide by six feet long, and it weighs about two and a half pounds. I'm pretty small, and we uh, we slept in a like opposite facing opposite. We were like sardines. Yeah. No yeah. rooms for a bag. No room for our bags. And where we left off on this beautiful adventure was actually our first night camping. It was a few nights in, actually. We we have traveled from all the way from Darjeeling, India, into God knows where in the mountains of the Lesser Himalayas. <laughs> we sure as hell didn't know. Our map didn't know. <laughs> and uh, we're a bit lost, which is okay. That was kind of the goal. That, that was, was kind of the idea. Yeah. yeah. And we're, we are now camping in a stunning, glorious valley with just... Subtropical rainforest just grow like spilling over the gorge yeah. on both sides. Just it, this, it's so green and lush, and we've been welcomed and and kind of ogled at by a lot of Nepali villagers of all types. Um, we're really feeling uh, completely immersed in a different culture. We're starting to learn Nepali at this yeah. point, and we're under a bit of a time constraint. The rainy season has started early. We're there at the end of April, 
and the rainy season's on us, which means monsoon is around the corner. This means that in the lesser Himalayas, it's getting hotter by the day. We're talking over 100 degrees every day, and this is not a dry heat. This is extremely humid. Oh, yeah. And by the middle of, by the early afternoon or late afternoon, it breaks into thunderstorms, which just are torrential downpours. That's our daily reality right now. And this is uh, pre-monsoon, basically. The monsoon's not here yet. Monsoon is the rainy season. Uh, at that point, you can no longer really, um, it's not advisable to, to be trekking in the, Him, in the, in the Himalayas. Uh, it's going, the, the weather's going to be against you, and you're not going to get the views. And we also don't exactly know how dangerous that is. We didn't do a lot of research. Although I have, to my credit, already spent uh, a couple of months in Nepal uh, and a month in the Himalayas in a different region, but never in the rainy season. Uh, we're about a month, a little over a month at this point, month and change into our budding uh, relationship. Yes, which we're, sounds crazy when you put it like that. Jeez. Yeah, what I, were we thinking? I, I wasn't really aware that it hadn't been that long. We were constantly together and traveling. Travel is a pretty intense mode of being. So it just felt like we had been together for very long already. We were talking about buying land together and 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 creating like a retreat space. I, I, I will say that I think a month of traveling together the way we were could be four to five months in a regular relationship, maybe more, because we were spending all our time together. We were overcoming obstacles. We were going on three-day train rides together. We, I mean, we were... And we were living together 24-7. Yeah, we were dealing with a lot, and we were learning a lot about each other fairly quickly. So I really think if you're traveling with someone in that kind of that way, you're you're catching up really fast. Because if you think about it just with the math... I don't know how my. I was gonna say I don't even know if you can translate that because, in in like a time spent together, yeah, I think you. I agree that it's probably four to six months of dating in the real world, but. Uh, there's an intensity. There's an intensity. But yeah, there's an intensity that you may not reach because it compounds too. You know, like it's not the same to spend two weekends with someone than four days total. Like together traveling in a different culture. Well, there's so. a depth. There's a depth that you're able to reach with not only that much time together continuously, but with the uh, kind of intensity of the situations that you have to face and overcome together yeah. and the novelty of it. So there's definitely a depth that I would say, you know, it definitely can be reached and, and is reached in relationships. And I have, and, but not for very long. And there were longer periods of that kind of intensity. But just on the mathematical level, like if you do the math, I, we were spending, you know, if, if I met someone in a city, I might go on a date with them. Then I might spend like weekends or evenings with them. You know, I mean, when we met, now we're spending most of the day every day together. Yeah. I mean, to clock that kind of time in a, a more conventional relationship somewhere in a city or something, it, it would probably take six six months to a year or it could be a couple years yeah, honestly depending yeah. on how you date and how if you if you move in and stuff so it's a lot of time so we are sure. in ways uh we know each other all kind of well yeah yeah i mean we and we were excited to do it so i think we don't we didn't even question how long we'd been together but, so if yeah. you if you'd like to get the backstory it really starts with how we met uh part yeah. one and part two that's that will get you up to Darjeeling. And then in uh, last week's episode, we talked about, which I, I can't remember the name 
off the top Tracking of my head. the Himalayas. Tracking the Himalayas. We talk about the beginning of this track, and we're going to pick it up right where we left off, which is waking up in the valley after our first night of camping. So welcome to chapter two. We are now waking up, and because we have noticed the day before that you really need to start walking early if you want to make the most of the day and walk as much as you can before the thunderstorms hit, we decided we were going to be early birds and wake up at 4.30 to also get the cooler parts of the day, cooler being... Like- Later on, we started, we started timing ourselves, and uh, so first off, the, the amount of effort each day was taking, both mentally and physically, by the end of the day, there's nothing left. Oh, yeah, Just wiped exhausted, out. wiped out, yeah. and sleep like a baby. Yeah. So it's really hard to get started in the morning, and it's really hard to get started in the middle of the morning, yeah. at, at 4.30 or yeah. at the beginning of the morning. So it's really hard to get going. We were timing it. It was taking us about three hours to... Like, pack... Pack up, eat, get ready to actually start walking. And motivate ourselves. We had to do the dishes and fill up our water, filter it. Like there's a lot of like little tasks that take a lot of time that like don't look like that, but definitely do. And so that first morning, actually on the trail, we woke up at 4.30. It's actually, it was too late. It was already too late. late. By the time we started walking, it was already blistering hot. It was 7.30 in the morning. The sun was high in the sky. Yeah. And, uh... But we met a couple of Nepalis, a group of Nepalis that were walking. You know, there's shepherds in these areas and, and people, this is just how people get around. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because at this point, no roads. We are solely yeah, walking between villages. There's no roads and for a car. Yeah, there, a road is a day's walk behind us yes. at this point. Yeah. And so we are walking pretty much over the mountains in between rural villages which was awesome honestly of the entire trek this is also why we're spending time telling this story is because out of the entire trek even later on this is to me the fondest memories because it was so it was wildly different than anything i'd ever seen oh it was most definitely the cultural highlights of some of, of any of my travel because it you know it had not really been touched by by tourism or by the West in a lot of a lot of ways. It it had been influenced by it, but of people course. weren't coming here, and people were still living fairly traditionally. And it had been a while since we had seen other travelers at this point. Yeah, we were starting to count, and I think it gets up to like four. I don't know. Ten uh, days. Ten I think days it took us to see the first to uh, see anyone else yeah. that wasn't Nepali. Yeah, and that was a really big privilege. That it was amazing to experience that. And so we ran. So every interaction was very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and they were also very interested in us. And we ran into a group. And I think this kind of gets at the Nepali spirit. Yeah. Because they, you know, I don't want to overgeneralize, but there was quite an impression of being very friendly, very happy. And like helpful. And very helpful. And, yeah. Always wanting to help. And I, I will say that this cultural experience we had was very watered down by the time we got to the Everest region. Oh, now sure. that like in a place that's highly visited, where it's turned into a business. I mean, there there was no business here. This was just this was just people living was basically, nice, yeah. and it was not based around tourism. Like that hadn't happened, and it was interesting because we basically walked through time in a way, yeah, and got a gradual, gradual by gradual 
uh, impression from how it used to be to how it is now in kind of small gradations. Yeah. Uh, we experienced what tourism and outside money does to a place. And that was one of, that was a very kind of interesting experience to walk from somewhere where I had not been infected at all and then slowly get to places where like the edges of where people visit and then into the heartland yeah. of where tourists go, where they're actually flying in by helicopter that it's so popular. And to see the the mindset, the difference in the way money was used, it was actually kind of disturbing for us. Having It happened come. really fast too for us. Like it was gradual, but it happened really fast, which made it really intense for us. I remember there were mornings, entire mornings of debriefing what had happened with like money and like, because, yeah, I don't know. It was very intense. It, it was, it was confusing because the day before, the way people use money would be different. And then that you, you had to adjust. And at times we got taken advantage of. Yeah. And you started to feel more like you were a walking wallet. Where in the beginning, it was clearly uh, more of a gift economy. And it was about helping you. And there was much more connection involved. Yeah. And then we'd go, you know, in the beginning, we'd walk up to people and ask, ask them for food. Uh, we had some food, but we didn't have... We needed to spice it up. We needed veggies and stuff like this. We had some some staples. And at times, they would just give it to us. Yeah. And then later on, this changed, and we're going to explore that a little bit through the story. But I will say, it was very disorienting. And because we would be approaching it how we approached it the day before, and then it will change. Hmm. And really fast. And you could notice when the mindset's changed when it's become more money oriented or when it's become like they they've they've had time with tourists and the attitude has changed from so much of like from welcoming guests into their house to okay maybe uh this has become more transactional mm-hmm. it's not such a a i don't know for lack of a better term spiritual experience yeah and that was definitely eye opening yeah and this is this is just to say that this is going to be a bigger theme throughout the entire Trekking the Himalayas series because that was our experience and we are trying to share. So maybe to go to the gift economy, to what, like when in in the beginning of this trek, how it felt like to interact with people and how that was different from later on. So we started walking that morning. We're back at, it's 7.30, it's blistering hot. We are cursing ourselves for not having woken up early enough. And uh, we get to a juncture where it's really hard to figure out where the trail is. And a bunch of guys are just hanging out in what I would call the village center, although it was just, you know, like in the middle of the forest and with mud. I mean, I don't know, it wasn't like really a village center, but it was definitely like a gathering space. And uh we asked if we were on the right trail, like we did every time we saw someone. We, the, were just, this, we learned this was a practice we had to do. Is yeah. Every time we ever saw someone, we, we asked if we were on the right trail because yeah. it was so hard to figure out. Yeah, and there's no like, there's no way to know besides asking people. There's no signs, and these are all dirt trails. Yeah. So they say yes, and they point us in a certain direction, and we start walking, and like... We get to, we're still inside of them, but pretty far away now. And we get 
at a different juncture and we've climbed up a little bit. So they're below us now, like further off away. They're kind of like turning into specks, but not quite. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're climbing up the mountain and they've stopped to watch us. Yes, yes. And so, but I mean, I don't think if, I don't think we realized they had stopped. We just, we went on and we took what seemed to be the most obvious trail of the two and we started walking and then maybe like a minute or a minute and a half later, we hear like whistling and screaming. And so they were, they were all trying to get our attention and then they moved their arms like <laughs> frantically, like, no, no, like, and pointing to the different direction that we didn't take. And I was like, Oh my God, it's been like 20 minutes since we talked to them. The entire time they were checking that we were going in the right direction, ready to call us if we weren't. And they did. Yeah, there's, there's a, uh, this goes into time too. There's such a different sense of time in oh that area. I mean, well, there isn't a sense of time. That's no. the whole thing. Time, they don't have watches or clocks, a yeah. lot of them. And this is, this at time was frustrating because it's called we called it Nepali time. Yeah, it meant nothing. It meant nothing. You if you ask someone how long it took to get somewhere, the two well, you had two problems. Is one one of them is that they're way faster than you. Oh my god, Nepali people are so fast. They it's are, like I mean it's not like they were designed by the mountains. Yeah. Their their legs, they're so small and stout and their legs are like arched. Very strong. And they just like I don't know. They're like those, um, oh, those like those goat kind of those mountain goats type of people. You know, they just like da, 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 da. it's you, so fast. You feel clunky and lumbering oh next to them. Oh my god! But so there's there's that aspect of it which makes it hard to to judge or any any advice they give you. But the the part that's even harder is that we realized they don't really have a sense of time. Yeah. Like hours, minutes. It's much blurrier to them. Uh, uh, in our in our experience, and and these people are living more or less, you know, with the sun. Uh, with the sun, yeah, for sure. They remember. I think that one day, I was feeling pretty des- desperate that we would ever reach this town that I feel like I'd been hearing about for like days. And so every person we asked, I was like, okay, are we like how long till this town? And within like a very small period of time, I got. An answer that said uh, two hours, nine hours, six hours. Someone honestly had no idea what I was asking. And then someone told me, oh, you should be here before you should be there before sundown. So we try to average those out. And I was like, what does that even mean? And it turned out it wasn't even related to the time we ended up making. And later on, I remember when we started climbing and getting into like higher elevations, we stopped by a group of women. And this is when it really hit me that time is just non-existent there because, or at least not in the same way as for us, because I recognized those women didn't speak any English. So I just approached and and was like smiling and i did the what i thought international gesture for can you tell me what time it is or can you tell me i was like pointing to the top of the mountain and tapping on my wrist as if and you had they, a watch yeah and they started looking at her, at their wrists and at my wrists and like looking <laughs> at the top of the mountain and like continuing to loom like this person's crazy. I don't even know what to tell her. Like she's pointing at her wrist. What does that even mean? Never got an answer. That didn't mean anything. And I have to wonder what it looks like from their eyes. Oh. It must look so strange. Yeah. 
so just bonkers. Like we must look so ridiculous oh, yeah, with our with our backpacks, and we looks we look so different. I mean, I'm a redhead. There's no other. There's no, <laughs> I don't think Nepali has ever birthed a redhead. I'm not sure, but I'll go on wild guess. I don't, say, I don't. I don't know. I don't even know if an albino Nepali would. Have so redhead. I I become very exotic in this part of the world, which I kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> Thank but, you for admitting it. <laughs> and we're carrying these packs. And we're also doing something that just seems absurd to them. It's their daily life. Yeah. And we're doing it, like, for long periods of time. And and so we seem to be doing it for, for sport or for fun. And we have all this, like, kind of specialized high-tech gear that they've never seen. Some of it they've probably never seen before and yeah. have no idea what it does. Or it's just, it's very different than, you know, like, they walk around with bamboo sticks. Yeah, and, 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 and the way they carry stuff around is through their forehead. Like yeah, they baskets have on the on Baskets and, hanging on the back, t- like, tied with a, with a large uh, piece of fabric through their forehead. And so. I don't know how, especially in this area, like, how much, clearly Facebook and some of these things were reaching even here. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like... We were total aliens to them. Yeah. But it was kind of a head trip to wonder what our the impression we left on them must oh, yeah. have been. And because... They looked at us with like an amusement. Yeah. Oh, it was just like... It, I think it also just must have looked ridiculous. They have to climb these mountains every day to go to school or to to get to the next or village. to go see their sister. Yeah, or to get to the hospital. And here are a bunch of uh, rich white people coming to do it, you know, and, and struggling at it too yeah. and looking pretty miserable. And yeah, it just must be a, such a, such a strange sight <laughs> and God, uh, like what they think of us, I, I have no idea, but, yeah. but, but going back to this group and, and this whole thing, I think this was a great example of just how generous Nepalis were in every aspect, like with their time, uh, even though it seems to me, my impression was that they didn't really think about it. This was just life. And we were the, we were kind of an interesting circus going yeah. on probably for them. Going through their lives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but they're, and, they're, and it's hard to describe the sense of ease. I, I don't know if ease is the right word. It's the one that comes to mind, but it, it may be not. But just to describe what it feels like to be in a place that doesn't have, have a, a real strong sense of time as far as clock time yeah like the days kind of uh they're not divided and compartmentalized into hours and minutes and schedules and things like this and there is something at least as a westerner that's that's very releasing about that and i think really acted on me just to be somewhere where where, and i recognize that a lot of their aspects of their life was very hard and I don't want to glorify or idealize this way of living because I wouldn't choose it. I honestly wouldn't. It was hard. It was very hard. And they were, uh, most of them were very poor. But there were some aspects of it that were very interesting and very liberating in my experience and very inspiring. Mm. And I think this looseness around time, it felt better. And I don't know, I, I've tried to embody some of that in my life since. It's extremely hard. It's really hard in a world that really needs you to want you to be on time. And there's plenty of benefits of it. But man, being in a place that just didn't give a fuck about time very much and went with the sun, wow. Is it's really, really, really an amazing experience. And I highly recommend finding a place like that where you can live by the sun for a while 
where you live, right? We were living by thunderstorms yeah. and by the stars and by being another thing I love about trekking is just that it gets me in tune with my body. A lot of times I ignore my body. I forget about my body. And this is a trekking forces me to live in the world, forces me to walk when the, the sun's uh, not too high in the sky and I can, it forces me to stop when it's too hot or when it starts thundering. It forces me to sleep when I'm exhausted. I have to listen to my body and how tired I am. I have to, like, I, I become very aware of when my energy's run out and I need more energy. I become very connected, not only with the world, but with myself. And on this trek in particular, very connected with the Nepalese. I felt so supported by them through this, especially in the beginning. And it was just a warm love uh, that, uh, that I think... I think as a credit to the Nepali culture because I've experienced it in a lot of places in Nepal and I, in a in a specific way to, that's specific to Nepal is that they are very warm and very friendly and uh, it it really shows and that's one of the reasons I love visiting there. Well, hey, what do you know? We got lost in like sideways and side alleys without really actually getting forward on the story. It's okay. We, we, we know, we know that those episodes of storytelling like that are like kind of take different roads and go up in all these different alleys. And some, sometimes we just hang our heads when we realize we're like, 20, 30 minutes into a story and we haven't got to the story. And we're just like, wait, what happened? What happened? We're supposed to be way further than this. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just we're learning along the way. We hope you're enjoying this. We are going forward on the story. So this group of men actually whistled and screamed at us that we were going the wrong way. Thank and bless their hearts. And we got on the right track. And it was very early in the day and we hit the lovely village of Kulung. And we had to do a pretty heavy climb for a couple hours in the baking sun, which was not a great start to the day. It's and then, true. then we reached the never-ending village of Kulung. We didn't make it out of this village throughout the day. It's a village that's kind of, it's kind of dispersed it's along out. a mountain. Yeah. So there's a problem, there's a thing that it's actually spread out, but there's also the fact that this is the village where we had the most encounters. And where the most like cultural adventures happened and we just, we, we didn't make it out of the village. Um, so a few things that happened as we walked into the village, we sat down to take a break and an old lady, uh, came out of her house and brought us, uh, a lassie or like some sort of like a fermented milk kind of beverage. And like we were sitting down to take a sip of our water and to just catch our breath after that climb. And she just like walked over like a spirit, you know, like holding those two cups. And I was like, oh, God, oh, God, Alistair, oh, God, this is probably something I don't want to drink because I don't know what it is. And I'm afraid it's going to hurt me. And I started feeling really bad, like, oh, she's going to give this to us and and I'm not going to finish it. Because I think that's a very Western thing. It's like if if someone gives you a gift, you have to like use it or consume or it. consume it or or prove that you've received the gift. I don't know. And she was just happy to come and give us the the glasses. I literally just like dip my my lips into it, and and then I gave it back to her, and she. Then even wince, she was just so happy to have given us something, even if, you know, we didn't drink it all. 
that was a very weird moment for me because, you know, there's this sense, especially with food, that if someone gives you something, you need to eat it because otherwise the gift giver will take it personally. And, and this person just was fine with and, everything. And that wasn't, and, and what you experienced there wasn't quite the case with one of the other things that happened that day, which was uh, we got invited to a Nepali wedding. Oh, yeah, just out of the blue. We asked for directions, and then a bunch of people were saying, like, oh, there, there's a wedding happening. And We and became the guests of honor to this Nepali wedding. They had <laughs> slaughtered a water buffalo, which is a big deal in a village like this because that, that doesn't happen, that doesn't happen often. often, and you have to have enough people to eat it. And so we had water buffalo with them, and they uh, they offered us Nepali juice, which uh, I was not able to turn down as a man. Yeah. Uh, it was expected that I had at least two glasses of it. That's true. This is part of the reason we didn't make it through that village that day. Oh my it was God. That, it was it was brutal. So Nepali juice is like fermented fruit of any it's, sort. Yeah, Just it's a like, village spirit basically. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we go into detail on this story in another one in Giving Gifts and Getting Conned. Yes. So if you'd like to hear this in a lot more detail, uh, go there. But And we ended up, um, basically, the two people getting married were dressed up as gods and sitting on thrones. They weren't actually part of the party. They were in the back. Yeah. And we realized we had a few things uh, extra that we were carrying. And we ended up gifting them. I gave them, uh, I gave the, the groom a, a handmade... Um, leather, belt. leather belt from Romania, and you gave the bride a beautiful uh, Indian dress that you had been given. Yeah, and we showed him. We had a map actually, so we brought out the map and showed him where each gift came from. Yeah, um, and that was really cool. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was a lot of fun. And in return, actually, and this was funny because just the day before we had been gifted our first walk. We had no walking sticks. Yeah, that we was came without stupid. walking sticks. That was stupid. Oh, uh, and. The day before, a man was walking up. Another example here of of kind of the generosity that we just experienced in those an early days. An old guy, days. an old yeah. man was walking up, and he saw we were walking down and struggling, and he had a bamboo stick, and he just gave his to you. Yeah, he gave it to me and kept walking. Yeah. And so that was our first bamboo stick, and I, I think I gave it to you because you were struggling. Yeah. And, I said, boy, it'd be really nice if we could get another one of those. And so, I think you found a shitty one. I, I did. Like I a found kind of a messed up one. One that has... was going to fail me one yeah. day and I was going to hurt when it did. And and then after we gave these gifts to the wedding, one of the men saw my stick yeah. and just kind of like shook his head and, and told me to wait and went into the back and came out with a, a beautiful bamboo stick. Yeah. Uh, that that was really strong and really great. Those sticks, like people were asking us where we got them in the Everest region. Oh, we were like, so people, proud. People were like impressed. And for us, they were the tokens of walking through really weird remote parts of Nepal to get to the Everest region. You it know was, it was a sign that we were legit. You yeah, know, yeah. like we would tell the guides where we came from, like the Nepali guides, <laughs> and we and they would be like, respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Respect. We got a lot of respect. We got a lot of respect. It so, felt Nice. <laughs> I, I, I like that. But it was great to come, like, we have our bamboo sticks and people got their, like, Trek light poles, you know? You know, the poles everyone's got that look really annoying when you don't have one. They all had those and we just got these bamboo sticks and we're like, oh, where'd you come from? Lukla? Oh, cool. We came from Cadbury. No, no, you don't. You don't even can't even put it on a map because it's really far away. We were just really being assholes. Yeah, yeah. We got on a high horse about it. That's just, that's But man, if you walk two weeks through the freaking jungle... And Maybe you don't even you get the pleasure yeah. of, of high horsing it a bit. What's the point? <laughs> What's the point? Okay? 
You heard it first from Alistair. <laughs> this is why we trekked two weeks from the subtropical jungle. It's... So we had to take a break after this wedding because I was buzzed. Oh my god! And we were both weighed down. We don't. We, we both, were. Yeah. We don't eat meat yes. most of the time, yeah. and we just had water buffalo. Couldn't turn it down. I mean, I didn't want to turn it down. I've never had water buffalo. And I was also very curious, and it felt like a sacred thing at the it, moment. It felt so very special. We we laid under a tree, and Alistair was like. Ah, ah. Very groggy. Very groggy. I went and got water. It's the middle of the day. It's really hot and uh, humid. It's a terrible time to be drinking. Terrible time. Terrible time. Because I think we got invited at the the wedding. It was like 9.30 in the morning, just Uh, for perspective. I I think we were there until like 11 or something. Um, So you were like passed out under the tree. I got to go. I got to... um, a house to get water from them. So I had another, you know, encounter with Nepali people asking me questions and stuff. And then we, uh, we walked. Um, we didn't walk very far because no, we didn't walk very far <laughs> because we, we took a long break. And then when we started, and the thing is, as soon as you take a break, it's so hard to get going again. Just picking up your pack to start going uh, again was so dreadful. These packs are I refused heavy. to pee. I refused to stop to pee sometimes just because I didn't want to have to take off my A typical backpacking pack, like when we go on our wilderness retreats, is probably 30 to 40 pounds, but on the lower side of that. So I would say, like, hopefully it's more like 30 or 35 pounds. Our pounds were easily 50 pounds, or our packs were easily 50 pounds. Yeah. They were really heavy. They Uh, They were not optimized. So... Every time you get going again, it's a groan. You just don't want to stop. You got to keep that momentum going. So we started again, and we got caught by a thunderstorm because now it's like early afternoon. Yeah. And we, we basically, uh, I we kind of asked. I don't even remember if we asked. I'm not dude. Sure. I think we were just like, oh, it will be okay. So we like walked in between houses, and then we saw what looked like private property, like. Well, Maybe not really their yard, but just a, a patty, like a rice patty that was not used. It was someone's patty, but and it was close to a house, and there was a tree. So we set up our tent and got in the tent just to just to like um, prevent ourselves from getting too wet. And so we were in the tent and waiting for the rain to pass, and then we <laughs> and then out of nowhere. I think it started clearing up, and uh, out of nowhere, we just hear so like a voice outside. We're like, in the tent, like reading. I think at this yeah, point, just yeah. waiting out the thunderstorm. And then, like we hear, like "Hello," <laughs> and I, I get really freaked out because I don't know about you, but when I'm in a tent and it's closed, and then I notice someone's outside, I get freaked out, no matter who it is, you know. And so we heard that. It's, I don't know if we really reacted. I think we looked at each other and kind of laughed, and then. And then the, that same person was like, I love you. In a and question. I, in a question like, I mark. love you. And I think my, my, um, I, I think I didn't, I don't know. I think we were tired of all the interactions already that day. So we didn't really like, want to, you know, look outside and see who it was and engage in conversation. But what was the the funniest thing is like those are probably the two things he knew how to say in English and he probably was actually trying to say like how are you who are you like trying to get information from us but because he knew only I love you he thought if I put a question mark at the end it's gonna work out you it was know? really really funny I love you so sometimes just Alistair and I we still say that to each other this way just just for like memories uh, it was a really strange thing to hear on that side of your tongue. <laughs> 
the storm cleared up and we started walking again and still walking through the town. Yeah, and it actually didn't clear up for that long because then we had to stop at a cafe in that town or like a, a mini shop. Someone's house with uh, a little bit like a, a counter with some stuff and, a, yeah. and a, some plastic chairs. Yeah, and so I think we were like, okay, let's just wait it out here. Let's have some tea. And then we realized that they might be selling food because all this time, I remember that, all this time, we thought we were going to make it to Gochi Bazaar, which we had heard about since we started walking because I think it was one of those bigger villages it's on the It's kind of the these way. milestones yeah. that happen while you're walking. And I think if we had been walking faster we probably would have hit yeah. it that day but we didn't. Uh, so we, I was like, okay, we're going to get food when we get to Gochi Bazaar. But this time... No, we, I, I was like, we should probably just get food now because it's getting late. So I got some uh, baby tomatoes and I think a few potatoes and these, uh, these, they didn't have onions. They didn't. And these baby tomatoes, we found out later, were some of the best baby tomatoes I've ever had in my life. And that includes my mom's garden. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it's the real deal. That's, they were incredible. Yeah. The, the, the produce in this part of the world is just... It's it like, tasted so good. It tasted like nature. Yeah, it was amazing. It was I, amazing. I, yeah. So we kept walking and we got some baby tomatoes and potatoes, but it'd be nice to have some onions. Yeah. And we walked by someone's house. Yeah. And it looks like they got onions. It's like you see onions in the ground and you're like, huh, maybe we should just ask them if they have some. Yeah. And so we did. Yeah. <laughs> like, can we have onions? And I think at this point, we knew the word uh, f- for onion in, in Nepali. Um, so we asked, and I think she just, she was like, huh? Yeah. And she went and picked some into the ground. Like, she pulled them she out. She went of the into, ground. yeah, she went into her backyard, pulled some, came back with some onions, and, and gave them to us. And this is somewhere where I still have a, I regret the way I handled this because. Mm. We asked for the onions, and this is part of the communication thing. But like, yeah. and 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 I gave her fifty rupees for it, which is about fifty cents, but is a lot. It's uh, a lot for that part of the world. I think the day before we had spent thirty five rupees on all the vegetables that we needed. But for I, our I don't meal. think I had change. No, you didn't have change. And so, that. and I and I wanted to give something because I didn't want to just take it. Yeah. And I, she, she looked at me confused. Yeah, she was. And. There was kind of a sinking feeling as she did it because I realized, oh shit, I think this might have been a gift, and I don't, I, it didn't, f- yeah. you know, and I and I, I'm paying her for it, and I also had this feeling that I realized later on is like, this is how the culture changes, yeah, is is that kind of stuff, and yeah. I, and I've had this kind of bad feeling like I was noticing how the how later on the you know how the how money was changing and, and how it was becoming more there was a there's an alienation yeah. there was less of a connection in the beginning we would have to go and ask people and there was this relationship that happened because of that and it was goofy and it was funny yeah and but and you had to do sign language and it was confusing it was not efficient yeah for by any means and you didn't always get what you wanted but you ended up coming out of it with your heart pretty full yeah because we had made a, a legitimate connection yeah. with another person of a very different culture and of a very different perspective and mindset and need forced us to because we did not have enough food to get through this trip we had to rely on them yeah and they were more than happy to help and this was a way they could help and so there was a connection that however clumsy it was came out of that that was real and that was really special and it was some of my favorite memories from this trip uh in in hindsight 
And I feel like I kind of violated, I violated that mm. with this. And I also felt like I kind of contributed to it disappearing in mm. a way because, you know, I probably gave too much and, and I took away some. So I, I ended up not feeling very good about that and feeling kind of like I might have been part of the problem, really. Yeah. And just and just realizing how I think it's part of a bigger realization as a traveler, which is you can't go somewhere and not change it. That's, yeah. And it's kind of a problem. Yeah. if we, Especially as a traveler, as we like to do, when you try to go places, people don't go. Or, you know, and you bitch about how, oh, it's been changed. Coca-Cola's there. And, yeah, yeah. And, like, it's not the same. The culture's gone. And it's kind of heartbreaking and painful to have a realization like this where it's, like, that's happening partly because I'm here. Mm. And that conflict of wanting to visit these places but also being part of what changes them. Yeah. <laughs> After we got those, I think we realized, like, okay, we're not going any further today. <laughs> it's already late. We're exhausted. Um, and so let's just try to find a place and set up camp. And I was excited. If you have listened to chapter one of this, you know that my favorite time of the day was the time where we actually stopped walking and set up the tent. That's when, like... My skills really show, you know, the rest of the day I'm just struggling. And to... I'm just discovering these skills yeah. as a homemaker and a cook. <laughs> like you, you like to set up the whole, the whole tent on the inside. It's nice and comfy. It's nice and yes. welcoming and, and you make the food. And it's like, it's very, it nourishes the spirit as mm. well as the body. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is a discovery that I was just starting to find out. <laughs> Um, so I was falling deeply in love with you at this point. Oh, well, yeah. And it's like, I was so excited because I could see this like huge stretch of time in front of us before we actually had to go to bed. Um, where like, you know, it takes a little bit of time to set up. It definitely takes some time to cook, but I was seeing that maybe I would have like an hour to read and enjoy the scenery and the quiet and the peace. Well, things didn't really happen that way. No, they didn't. And part of the reason was because we had a hard time finding a place to set up. We were still in this town of yeah. Kulung. Yeah. We, we'd never gotten out of it. Yeah. And so it's pretty dispersed. The, the, I mean, they're farmhouses, kind of. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, there's a lot of terraces, like a lot of rice paddies. Yeah. And they go down the whole mountain, basically, and up the whole mountain. And a lot of them aren't being used. Yeah. So we kind of got to a point where there is a creek because we needed water. Yeah. And we followed the creek down quite a way out of sight onto a rice paddy, I would say, you know, 40, 50 yards down. Like, we thought we were pretty concealed. You know, we're, we're okay. We're not disturbing anyone. It's not a rice paddy. It's being used. It's nice and flat. Yeah. Good view. This is going to work. And thank God no one saw us. Well, everyone saw us. Now, actually, one or two kids of the village saw us walking down and, like, kind of being stealthy. And they followed us and they started looking at us while we were setting up our tent. And I was like, Alistair, this is going to go really badly. First of all, I felt like someone was going to come and tell us we were not, it was not okay to camp there. But that was, that showed just how much I didn't know much about the Nepali culture, rural culture then. Because what happened was as we set up, we were surrounded word spread throughout word town. spread the moms like came down fire. and and uh, they definitely weren't starting to cook their dinner no, and the kids were out playing the so. men kept a distance but all the women and all the children 
all the children came down and we were we, we were, were engulfed in like a yeah. we, we had our backs against the wall of the like terrace yeah. and there was just a semicircle and not a lot of personal count, space we counted like maybe 25 people at the max uh the moment where it was the, the biggest and so it's like okay we noticed that every time we were doing something, it was attracting even more uh, attention. It was not, there was no ill will. They were just super curious, super curious. and wanting to watch us, which was, which seemed like which, a fair trade off. We were camping in their town. Yeah, but it's also, it feels also very disturbing on a, in a Western culture where we value privacy and intimacy above all else. Yeah. You know, like and, babies and are given their own room. In those cultures, you share the bed with your parents until you're like, and the until, rest you, of the until you're gone, yeah, yeah. the grandparents. And there's not everyone. a lot of personal space, so I mean, this is a semicircle that that is are just a, just a foot or two away from us, yes. and they're just they, there's no shame in it. They're just standing there staring at you. What are you gonna do? Yeah, and uh, you start to feel a little bit like a monkey in a zoo. Yes, and uh, <laughs> and we didn't want to start cooking dinner because I just, yeah, I just didn't want to add to the excitement of us doing something. So it's also worth you, remembering could, that we had been walking all day. This is the same day of the wedding. There's been so many interactions with people that you just get like you just get socially fatigued. You yeah. can't you can't handle it anymore. Yeah. You haven't, and it's so hot. It's so draining. It's so tiring. I mean, life is hard. To, it's a little difficult. And I wanted. I was getting so excited about like changing into my nighttime clothes. That was shot. That was not gonna happen. And having just a moment of the day to relax. Yeah. And just like before, you have to do it again the next day. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we didn't get that the day before because if you remember. We, we got caught in the, into yeah. We got caught into a storm and a wind tunnel. So this time, I'm assessing what I'm gonna do, and uh, I think that we decide. Okay, we can't read, we can't do anything. There's no real interactions to have with them because right now they just want us to do something to be able to watch us. So we decided to play cards. We did. We played cards, and it was so fun. It was like I was exhausted, and parts of me was hating all of them that were present, but they were, we emphasized our reactions when we were winning or losing. We started to act, basically. So when I lost, I made a big deal out of it. When yeah. she won, she started celebrating. We just started getting really goofy with it. And it was, we just had, it was a theater. It was a small theater. They were all up in it. They oh, were man. so excited. They, it was so nice. They were so laughing nice. and giggling and cheering. And it was it was a pretty surreal moment. It was a good way to establish like a bridge of communication because then I remember um, as people, a lot of people were still here, but I had noticed that some of the women were starting to leave. So I was like, yeah, it's time to make dinner for everyone here. So they're soon going to be leaving because they have to, they have to eat and, and, and prepare. And so I think we started showing them the food that we bought to ask them how it's called in Nepali. And this is when we learned most of our Nepali. Alistair had his little notebook. I was pulling out this, the onions, the tomatoes, the potatoes, and they were telling us everything. And we just tried to write a phonetic version of yeah, it. In, yeah, in and it worked book. really well. That got us through the next couple of weeks where we still had to buy our food. So, yeah, it... It was it was so intense, especially for someone like me who needs that personal space and that like that mental space in the end of the day. It was so hard. And when they ended up all leaving, I was just like, we have a picture of me like starting to cook and I look both like exhausted and also very happy, you know, like. 
it's definitely both at the same time. They're, they're, just, they're kind of intense interactions, uh, but they're really kind of special in a way. Yeah, they are. They're super special. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so finally left. We were able to cook. I we, didn't get my hour of reading, enjoying the, the No, the I think we collapsed into bed, but it was a beautiful night. We were on uh, rice paddies that overlooked like kind of into the mountains, kind of a gorge. Yeah. There's a river that ran through at the bottom and just you have these basically like terraced lesser Himalayan mountains yeah. and are just a gorgeous night sky. I woke up in the middle of the night and came out and it was just brilliant. I mean, you could see the Milky Way. Oh my God. It was incredible. It's one of the clearest I, and most vivid, brilliant night skies I've ever seen in my life. Same. I've never seen the Milky Way this way. It was it was so beautiful because there's no lights where we were. There's absolutely no light pollution, no public light, you know? It, it makes you just... It's such a different experience of the world to see that sky at mm-hmm. night, for the sun to disappear and that sky to show up. Uh, and it's one... As a Westerner, we don't even realize we've lost. Yeah. You know, because that sky creates a sense of awe. There's yeah. no way it can't. It's incredible. Yeah. And uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. That next morning, we had learned. We woke up at 3.30. Yeah, we That doesn't it. even seem like a time to wake up. For me, 3.30, 3.30 is more a time to go to bed than a time to wake up, honestly. Yeah. I, I don't even know how that happened. It was out of necessity, but this would now be our schedule for uh, a significant part of the trek. Yeah. We were getting up at 3.30 every morning. So it wasn't getting light till like 5.30 at least. Yeah. So, so we had a couple hours of darkness, and then we were usually on the trail around 6, 6.30. Because the thing is, we had to find camp before the thunderstorms hit. Yeah. So, and we never knew when they were going to hit. Sometimes they hit later in the day, but couldn't count on it. So we had to really find a campsite by 1 or 2 o'clock. Yeah. By that point, we were spent anyways, usually. So uh, Plus, it was so hot at that point, you didn't really want to be walking. So we'd walk all morning, and we'd try to clock somewhere between 5 to 7 hours of walking on a good day. Yeah. And of course... I'm trying to keep us going because I've got my eye on Everest and I've also got my eye on these thunderstorms that are increasing in frequency and intensity. And uh, I'm, I'm feeling a little nervous. I mean, there's no way to know what's going coming up ahead of us. Yeah. And for me, it's day three of walking and day three is always the hardest for me. It's, it's the, the moment where the tiredness and the soreness has accumulated, but I haven't quite gotten used to it yet. Day four is usually the day where I'm like, cool, nice. Now I feel like you I don't have that going. trucker's body yet. You're, you're yeah, still getting your, your butt kicked. Takes yeah. a few days. So yeah. day three woke up and, uh, yeah, we started just started hiking out of Kulung, finally leaving this, this giant never ending village. And, you know, some of the small details are worth painting, I think, because it gives you an idea of just how magical this experience was in a lot of ways. And, you know, we'd be trekking, we'd be walking a part of trail along a mountain, along the side of a mountain. And there in the trees, we'd spot monkeys, yes. you know, running around in the trees and stuff. And monkeys are not a, a unusual sight. In fact, they're, they're a nuisance in a lot of Asia. Yeah. But there's still something about trekking in rainforest and yeah. just spotting wild monkeys That's... Uh, as you go. I mean, it's really fun. Yeah. And 
we uh, <laughs> so we had a philosophy that we'd been following, which is basically you take calories wherever the hell you can get them. If anyone offers you food, you do not turn it down. Yeah. I mean, we were at the time vegan, but we got offered water buffalo. You just don't turn it down. We're yeah. trekking. You need the fuel. And uh, there's only, we don't know where our meals are coming from yeah. and when the next one will be. So we try to take as much food as we can. Be- yeah. Besides the fact that we're extremely hungry all the time. We have appetites like 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 beasts. We're always eating, always eating, always eating. And we rarely ever feel like we've had enough. And the Nepali national dish is the dalbat, which is usually you buy it and you it you include it in the price as one refill. We even had a place where a third refill was included. I've gotten and up we, to three refills. I same and basically and, the the real thing is that they'll fill your plate till you're done. Yeah, usually, yeah. that's I mean that'll change depending where you are, but that's the general kind of custom. Yeah, and. Uh, they got a saying which which I like, and this this stuff is engineered to help you walk through mountains. It's rice, dal. Sometimes there's some potatoes in there, spinach, or some sort of greens that they they grow. Yeah, I think that's it. That's right? it. Yeah, and, and maybe for for flavor, there's a little bit of hot sauce. Oh yeah, or like or some uh, pickled pickled uh, something spicy, and we ate this every chance we got, and. Uh, it was really interesting to see all the varieties as we went because it's the same dish everywhere. It's basically the only dish. I mean, it's the only one that Nepalis eat. It's yeah. your most bang for your buck for sure. Yeah, it fills you up and uh, and it, it keeps you going. They have a saying: "Dalbot power, twenty four hour," <laughs> and they're not joking. Yeah, and you eat that like you eat that twice, twice a day, or, twice or so three we, times we, a day. Yeah, we also started uh, kind of. What was interesting about this trip was we really got to mold ourselves to their way of life as much as possible. We started sitting on the floor. Uh, this is when we really started to learn we liked sitting on the floor. Yeah. And we would we always ate with our hands. And there's a something very enjoyable about eating with your hands, especially oh, these yeah. kind of dishes, because you get to feel the food. It's part of the experience. Uh-huh. And so we would we would eat with our hands. I mean, in this part of the world, it's also where you use your hand to wipe when you go to the toilet. So yeah. you eat with a different hand than you wipe with. The yes. left, left is for, for the toilet. The right is for eating. Yeah. Um, but, and, but this is just, we, we ended up conforming to that way of life. And another part of that was that typically they eat twice a day. Uh, these doll bot meals, at least. One would be mid-morning, mm-hmm. and then one is more in the evening. And that turns out to be a pretty good strategy if you're going to be walking all day. Yes. I mean, basically, learn from the Nepalis on that one. They know what they're talking about. Mountain goat people. So that's what we started doing. Yeah. And we sat at a uh, we sat at a small. We couldn't call it a restaurant. It was basically like a hut. A hut with, yeah. a, with a couple tables that suggested the fact that they make food for other people as well. Yeah. And I think we just sat down for tea or just for a quick break. Some kids were going to school and they were wearing their uniforms and carrying their books. And, um, that was very, that was very cute. And, uh, and we, we decided to sit down and just have a, have a drink and then play cards. And then this old Nepali dude came around and like sat with us. 
started to want to play with us and Alistair was trying to explain the rules of Jin Rami to him but I don't think he really understood so he was playing it half got it but he was nice and he was like he at some point he was like food or I don't know how I can't remember how we communicated but he suggested that maybe we would want to eat something and we were like Oh yeah, like let's, <laughs> there's food here. Okay, cool. And so like he ordered two dalbats for us, <laughs> which we paid for. But he just like it was kind of nice to be ordered, you know, like someone to order yeah. for us. So sometimes that can be an ordeal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just ordering everything is really difficult here. Yeah. So so that that was nice. And we played gin rummy with him. And then after a while, he tapped out. And and you and I had been playing gin rummy since we met. Yes. And this this was kind of where it ended because because we played gin rummy for rupees when we were in India or when we were in Nepal, and I had a nice little side racket going on with the gin rummy. I clearly was a little bit better than you. It's your fucking brain. It's your <laughs> it's your logical brain. I just I can't beat it. You can think like fifteen steps ahead, and I mean you you the could, guy counts the cards. It wasn't it wasn't like you were losing every hand. No. No, but, but you were, you I were, was winning. You were playing against the house, basically plus, in the casino. It's like I was winning by luck. You were, you know, like it's just sometimes you didn't get the cards you wanted, and I was winning. I was so. methodically winning over time, yeah. and I was building up a nice. I was making a nice side income uh, playing uh, gin rummy with you, which I was having a lot of fun with. I didn't see any problem with this. I was having, this. I was having fun too. But yeah, you were, but then uh, things changed because <laughs> today, well, well <laughs> we, I don't know if this was before or after the doll bot came up. Probably before, because that's usually we play gin rummy to pass the time. Because you know, whenever you order gel bot, the woman goes in the kitchen and starts cooking it, and yeah. that takes time. Yeah, there's a lot of time to pass in Nepal. Yeah, so this was the way we did it, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, and <laughs> but in this game, I think I won, and you know, I was excited, was celebrating or whatever. I, I wasn't like rubbing it in your face no, or no, anything. No. I think I had just won, and then the next thing I know, you just slam your head on the table. It's like and, I was, I was done, you know. I and, was, and like, I thought, oh, like she's being like overly dramatic, <laughs> like she just lost. But no, you kind of had a breakdown. You, you, you finally, like after a little while, like you lift your head, and I'm not really like taking you that seriously at this point. And you lift your head, and there's tears just streaming down your cheeks. <laughs> you are like having a crisis, and. And and it, that came on because you lost this game of gin rummy, and all of a sudden I'm looking like, oh, oh, oh boy, something's <laughs> happening here. So it was the shock of you know like just like all of a sudden like we're playing gin rummy, everything's fun, I won, this is great, ha- happy days, and then just like tears streaming down your face, and it's like, oh, this is never gonna be the same anymore, <laughs> never gonna be the same, and I don't think we really have ever played gin rummy since. No, we've continued for a little bit, but I was trying to negotiate. We stopped playing for money because I felt like it was making it harder. And you were like, what would the fun be to play not for money? I was like, just to play, goddammit. You got to have skin in the game. Yeah, he, we still... So, yeah, I guess we kind of stopped, but... That it, was the end of Jin Rami. That was the end of Jin Rami. I just said, I don't like competitive stuff. It just... It wasn't, it wasn't fun anymore near the end. <laughs> So we kept walking that day, and we end up, and this is kind of a big milestone for us, Goye Bazaar. It's at the bottom of this kind of valley, or there's a meeting of a couple rivers. And 
we get down there. This is kind of our goal for the day. And there's a house down there, a pretty big house. Oh, yeah. And there's the, the there's fires going. You can see smoke coming out of the house. And, and it's the first guest house with, like, a sign that says first guest, guest house, house and restaurant. Like, before, you could tell that there were places to order food, but they were more for the villagers. You yeah. know, like, village people having their, yeah. their little cafe. This was obviously made for tourists because, and we saw, especially that on the whitewater rafting map is that Gucci Bazaar is one of those places where you can go and hang out if you're whitewater it's, rafting. It's basically one of the ending points for a fairly popular whitewater rafting uh, route, I yeah, guess. Yeah. And we're not in the whitewater rafting season, but apparent, clearly at times of the year, this place kind of has a monopoly yeah. on that spot. Yeah. And the attitude was Ugh. was clearly... And and different, like oh over, over overnight change. We changed the valley, and we changed valleys, and then it was all this. Different. Yeah, for the first thing I noticed walking up to this place was that uh, you could smell meat. You could smell yes. meat being or cooked. That's uh, odd in this part of Nepal because the meat is typically a special oca- yeah. occasion. Usually, people are eating a mainly vegetarian diet. Yeah. I mean, meat's expensive, and if you're going to have meat, it means you slaughtered something. Yeah. So it doesn't happen very often. And so, like, we just showed up in the middle after nothing special was happening, and they were cooking meat. That was the first sign that something was different here. Yeah. Like, that there was some more wealth at this place, and the, the house was bigger Much than the, bigger. Other, the other places. And uh, we decided, okay, well, we're going to, let's get some food here. Or, like, let's not order food, but we'd like to get some ingredients because we'd like to go. We had just, we had seen a beautiful valley that we wanted to get to yeah uh that was kind of around a bend in the in the mountain and we basically we're going to need to bushwhack there so we wanted to get some supplies uh here and it's hard to describe it took like forever for someone to actually come out and and like talk to us first of all like the, 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 the Nepali warmth was gone. It was this feeling of not needing us or not really caring we're there or o- almost feeling we were at their mercy. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of and, that. And like we and so we asked like, "Hey, do you have any- For, I, I want to say also like not only with uh, along with the meat thing is that those were the first fat or on the fatter side. They were fat. Nepali. Let's just say they were fat. They were fat. Okay, they were fat. But like they were well fed. <laughs> Definitely not like the people we had seen. And let's just to put that in perspective, because I think the story is now going on for a while, but this is only our third day on the trail. Like, and we, and and so we haven't made that much, we haven't covered that much mileage. And yet there's a vast, there's a world of difference. And the difference is tourism. That's the difference. And so we asked to buy some food and they basically kind of, don't answer that question and tell us to go sit down yeah. in kind of a rude way. Yeah. And then they leave us waiting for like half an hour. Finally, a woman comes out that seems like she could care less that we're there. Yeah. And like ask very what we French want. Attitude. Yeah. Very <laughs> French attitude. Yeah. It was very French. You're yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we try to ask for some ingredients and we're kind of getting like weird looks and I mean, we're not asking for them to make us a meal. We're just yeah, asking so for some help. Yeah. And we're used to this, like, kind of generosity and, and this kind of warm reception, and we're getting none of that here. There's a couple of other people, like family members there, and so we tell them kind of what we want, and we ask them how much, and 
she doesn't give a response right away, and she kind of talks to her family members, and it's like basically. It's true. They were talking in Nepali in front of us, like in front of us. But, after but, we, but not with the same. Like it was with there was a bad aura. To yeah, it, it, it all was, had just a bad feeling yeah. and a bad vibe. Like we didn't feel very good, and yeah. then and she gave us a response as if she had cal- done a quick calculation in her head. How much can I get out of these people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she gave us a response: five hundred rupees. Which was five to probably about it was four to five times what we would have paid just a village over. Yeah. yeah. And okay, five hundred rupees is not a lot of money. It's, it's five dollars. It's five dollars. But still, if you like, if you put it in perspective from where we had just come, it was ridiculous. And we're not thinking we about were... things in, in dollars at this point. No, we think we're about not. it in the local currency. Yeah. But it was more the attitude that it was what was done and and just the immediate feeling of okay things are very different here and and whatever it was is not here anymore and we're really stunned and kind of confused by this because yeah. it's and not really angry we're feeling really angry at this point we didn't yeah. we didn't express the anger but i remember feeling like damn She's got us. Like, there's nothing we can do here. There's so, no way out of this. We ended up paying uh, for it, but it just left a really sour taste in our mouth. Ugh. And it's it's hard to. I don't know. You're, I know. I can. I can hear the listeners saying, "Well, it's five dollars. Get over it." But it, it has more with how how we were received and yes. how we were treated than yes. it has to do with any monetary value. That was what. And it was more than anything. It was a shock. Yeah, it was because we like we literally were just coming down from a cloud of like village happy generosity villagers. Like the the night before, they were all huddled around us watching us, and then like this morning or this next day, this woman just looks at us like we're a bunch of walking wallets, and she's gonna see how much she can squeeze out of us. No, no smiles, no nothing, and. Those those baby tomatoes were probably some of the best baby tomatoes we've ever had. I have to give it to the damn woman. In the entire world. They were good. Yeah. So we make our way to this valley that Alistair, you know, like has his eye on. Alistair is this really weird mountain brain person. Because like I have no idea. You know, I'm walking one step in front of the other, but I have no idea where I am like spatially. He's very good at like when we get to a higher viewpoint to tell me like, oh, this is where we come from. This is where we're going. This is where. And, and I'm like, okay, it all looks the same to me. I don't understand what you're doing here. It but. is It is true. You get so spun around. Right. And, it, and and it's strange because it's so different than normal life where like I, I can't even find my shorts in yeah. the morning in my bedroom. Yeah. Like That's I'm just- useless. <laughs> I, I don't know where things go. But then when I'm in the mountains, I can tell you exactly where we've been, where yeah. we're going, where yeah. everything is. I have a very good sense of direction even when we turn around. And I think I actually developed this by trekking a lot alone and having to rely on that. Otherwise, I'd get lost yeah. and I could be in dangerous situations. So it really forced me to really, really pay attention. And I think I've got it to a point where it's not perfect, but it's always happening there in the background. Yeah. Well, I mean, on the other hand, I think I'm much better with like visual milestones, like things we saw on the trail. I'm, I'm, I remember them very well. But yeah, you had spotted this like waterfall, beautiful oh, thing. Uh, we called it the Lost Valley, and and I, I don't know if you can get the sense of what this looked like, but it was like the river, like kind of winded through this small valley. We saw it from above first when we walked down to yeah. Goye Bazaar. 
which was kind of on the other side of a small ridge or something that kind of blocked you off from seeing it. And it's just down, there's like a flat area where we're like, okay, you could camp there for one. That's that's great because you're always looking for camping sites mm-hmm. and you need to find somewhere flat and it needs to be near water. There's certain criteria you have to meet. And it just looks so lush and jungly. And there's a there's the water, there's the river winding through this this small valley that's kind of ensconced on all sides so it's like pretty sheltered it's a pretty it's it's not huge which gives it this even this more feeling of wildness and and there's a waterfall that that like a pretty big one yeah that's uh that's falling into the valley too and and all of this just gives you this feeling that you're like leonardo dicaprio on the island or the beach or whatever yeah. yeah and and you've just discovered this this forgotten valley of just life yeah, I think we were like imagining taking like bathing under the waterfall as, as like an Instagram, amazing Instagram picture or something, something like that. But we were getting really excited. So on our way from Gautier Bazaar to that Lost Valley. Which um, we wanted to get the hell out of Gautier Bazaar after we that We were experience. so pissed, so pissed. Um, so, and we, we bitched about it the entire time. I, I remember us like bushwhacking our way through this place, coming out of the bushes and still be talking about how pissed off we were. Five dollars, people. We, we lost perspective. Yeah. It's, <laughs> not, it's no, it's 500 rupees. It's yeah. not about dollars. There we go. Uh, but so so. <laughs> we, we came, we came across this shepherd on our way to the Lost Valley. So we were bushwhacking. We're just basically going through brush at yeah. this point trying to get to this valley that we saw and we know it's just a little further away and we know there's some flat spots some green grass and stuff it's going to be great and we run into a shepherd on the way and uh, this is one of these old nepali man shepherds that's been shepherding his whole life and has like three teeth left and like whatever he's wearing he's been wearing for 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 centuries and he probably never has sat on his buttocks he's squatting all the time yeah no matter where he there's is. a nepali squat that is i i started to pick up i still i still use it's, it's actually a very physiological position for rest like for instead I, I, of sitting it's great. down and it's much it. better yeah but so he's just this ancient being in yeah. in in this jungly area and he's we don't really understand but he clearly does not want us to continue and he's trying to get us to turn around or go a different way, like just telling us no, no, no. And we don't understand. We don't get it. And, we, uh, and we think he doesn't get what we're doing yeah. either. So there's like this big misunderstanding going on. We want to get further on because we know where there's some flat spots. Where we are, there's nowhere to camp. Yeah. We need to get to a spot that we know is further on, fairly far on. Uh, that we can camp at that's flat and we know he doesn't un- he, he doesn't know this yeah we have no idea what he's trying to tell us maybe there's something we're trying to avoid we try to say like can we go around and he seems to say yes but then we try to go the way that we think we're going around and he seems to say no yeah it's after a while we just give up and say hey buddy sorry we're going this way we need to go this way yeah this is like after 15 20 minutes of confusion yeah so we continue uh without his blessing uh he wasn't upset no he, he wasn't upset clearly, like but he was warning us and we didn't know why yeah we soon learned why we soon learned why he was shepherding a a uh, i don't know what you would call it a herd, a herd of water buffalo and if you don't maybe you've never seen a water buffalo i don't think i'd seen a water buffalo until this point a water buffalo is kind of like a cow only probably twice as big yeah 
like, well, they're huge. They're black. They have horns like on them. They're and and, and they, they have, have like, like a leathery, leathery skin. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this like leathery skin. They're beasts. In, they don't in, really have hair on it or very yeah, little. Yeah, it's uh. a different. It, it's it's related to a cow, but it's definitely or I don't know related to a buffalo. Yeah, I guess yeah, That's more likely. Uh, but they're big. They're 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 jet black, and they they look very very kind of beastly. But they also are pretty peaceful animals. Yeah. Like they're like cows. They're just grazing all day long because that's what they have to do to maintain this huge amount of body. Yeah. And and they just you know they were grazing along. Yeah, they're pretty domesticated. Yeah. Uh, and we walk a bit further to the flat area, and it turns out this is their pasture. This yes. is where they're grazing. And uh, if you can imagine it, there's kind of a flat spot, and then. There's 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 kind of a field and some some bushes and stuff, and we come to kind of kind of the edge of this pasture, yeah. And we start to walk to. We want to get to the other side. We want to get on the other side, the direct opposite side of these buffalo, basically, because this is where the river is and the water. There there turns out later we don't find it now, but there's like there's even a like oh, kind of spa made yeah. next to the river. Yeah. There's flowing river, and the Nepalis have made like a a lagoon that a you can pool, bathe in. It's pool. it's beautiful, and you have a view of the river, the waterfall across the way. It's it's extremely lush, as I've been saying over and over it's it's great so we're trying to get there it looks like the perfect campsite it yeah. looks amazing and we run we run into these buffalo usually not a problem we've never ran into a buffalo that were that was concerning yeah no we we were fine and we we get to this place um the buffaloes are behind us they are grazing peacefully we made it to next to the lagoon the pool no 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 we didn't even do that yet no you're moving ahead a little bit we when we get to the edge of the herd, we first have contact with the mama buffalo. Oh. This, this mama is buffalo is bigger than all the rest. A lot bigger. Yeah. And she's got some babies. She's she's got some baby buffalo in the herd. And and she has a particularly small one in tow, like yeah, with her. Like must have been very recent that she birthed it. And she as soon as she saw us. Her head locked onto us, like swiveled and locked onto us and never let go. And she had two eyes bigger than billiard balls. Just imagine like eight balls, just the, the deep black the of the eight balls, black. no soul in there, just pure terror, yeah. two massive black orbs for eyes just locked on you it looks like you're staring into in into like the minotaur uh, or, or or you say, say satan's better <laughs> there, there's there's just all there is is pure fear and terror and you can tell she is threatened beyond yeah. beyond anything you can imagine that you're there yeah. and it's just orbs of terror and blackness despair and everything Everything bad. And not in a way that she's going to run away because she's afraid. Definitely not. She, in a way that she will... She's taking an aggressive stance. Yes. And this is getting scary. And she she's clearly threatened. We're not sure if she's going to charge. And we're on the edge. And we... So we try to edge around. We're basically doing a circle around. Because yeah. there's space. I mean, we can get further away. Yeah. And we haven't really comprehended the situation or the risk that we're taking. So we start to go around and 
as long as we're in eyesight of this beast, her head, she is stopped completely still, completely locked still. And her head is just following us. And those two eyes of terror are just following us the whole time. And, and there's just this feeling like we're not trying to do anything aggressive. We're trying to keep as far away as possible. We're climbing up like rice patties to get further away. But see, you missed something here. That's why I said we made it to the place. You missed something. Because when we saw that the herd was there, we made it through to the other side next to the waterfall. We started setting up the tents and we left our packs down there. And then we realized, hmm, maybe we'd be better camping up one of those rice patties. All the time, all this time, the herd of buffaloes is in the other pasture and not next to us. And we're thinking they're never going to come to us. Right, right. So we, we, I didn't miss it. It's just it happened a little bit later. We okay. had passed, we had kind of done a circle around the herd. Okay. And we got up to some paddies. We were looking for a place to camp. And I'm not exactly sure how it happened anymore. But we were in the field and they're far enough away from them. And... We had left our packs because they're really heavy. And because we, we thought that they were not going to come to this part of the of the yeah. area where we were because you have to bushwhack and all. we yeah. thought we were safe kind of thing. Yeah. So we left our pack, we left the tent, and we started to go explore if maybe we could set up our tent up on the rice paddy field. That's right. And as we were doing this, we saw that the herd was starting to come in that area where we were. We got cut off, basically, from our packs. Yes. And we're sitting on a rice paddy, like, several layers higher, because we're too... At this point, we've tested the boundaries, and we've gotten scared that she's going to charge us. Every time she can see us, she's on alert. It's beyond scary. And it's to the point where she has stopped grazing at all. And she's just looking at us up on the rice paddy. And every time we make a movement, she's she's like... Yeah, and she's getting agitated. Yeah. And so we're staying at a, a high level above where she seems to relax a little bit. But we're, we're, and, and what happens is we get onto these rice paddies or overlooking the herd, and we didn't really account for the fact that the herd's moving. Yeah. And the herd cut us off from our packs, and it's so spread out. And the, the mama buffalo is right in the middle of it. Yeah. We're now without our packs, they're on the other side. And we're, we're stuck. And we're cut off from everything at this point. Our herd has basically cut us off from returning or anything. Yeah. We cannot reach our packs. Yeah, and I mean, maybe to give just another understanding of how it feels at this point, it's like total despair. I want to do like a merde. You know, I really do. Because I did. I did one. I started. I started. I think at one point just yelling. Just I think out you of just pure, said like shit, 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 shit. You know, it's and that like, kind of feeling where like we're sitting there, we're stuck from our packs. We've been walking all, all day morning. Long, we we got up at three thirty. We're so tired. It's so hot. It's I one was of the hottest looking days. forward to a dip in that pool. I was looking forward once again to oh maybe I'll have that hour of reading and we'll set up early. And, and, and this early. is a lesson you definitely learn on trekking is that the thing that's going to crush you more than anything is, is your, your own expectations. expectations. And we had expected. We were going to get the rest of the day off to rest. We just got kind of ripped off. It was a bad... It was like it was like 4.30 and 2.30 or something in the afternoon. And we were really excited to like hanker down. Yeah, and now we're cut off from our packs. Not only are we cut off from our packs and we're pretty much helpless. We can't do anything. We can't go into the river. We can't get there either. But we are 
in a place with almost no shade in the blistering sun. And it's well over 100 degrees. And we're just dying. That we're was hungry. One, that, we can't eat. That was one of the moments where I realized that when Alistair's really, really, really upset, I shouldn't talk to him. Like, I wanted to speak. I was feeling so bad. Like, that's I, when I feel bad, I want to talk. He doesn't. So I was like, okay. It's we're just, not the, it was the pit talk. of depression. And I just had that. Well, it was terrifying because the, the terrace seemed high enough that I, I doubted that the mama buffalo would would like charge and run no up that seemed unlikely but it was still a possibility and if it happened man we were dead she was so big no the she benefit of the terrace is for the most of the time we got out of view we yeah. needed as soon as we got into eyesight she locked onto us every time yeah it, it was one of the most terrifying animals i've ever i've ever uh been in in the proximity of and honestly like we were starting to just Okay, we were starting to accept that now we just had... Now we were like, okay, we understand why the shepherd told us not to go. Yeah. And uh, and we were kind of pissed off at ourselves for not listening to him. But we also were, okay, let's just wait until they leave. Because they're going to leave at some point. And that is when we spotted a couple of buffaloes who were sniffing our packs. Well, it wasn't just a couple. So the, the herd was starting to move back. They were slowly starting to recede back through the field the way we had came and they were going to come out this way sooner or later and we were getting excited about it because most of them had left except for mama oh my god she was the last one the last one and and we're just like willing her to leave just and she's leave, taking her sweet ass it. time yeah, yeah. and she starts to leave and we're like cheering up here it's it's great we're like, yes it's gonna happen they're gonna leave and then out of the corner of her big black orb of an eye, she spots our packs and she takes an interest. And that was the moment where we were just like, all oh the, shit. All the food. Oh no. Everything we have is in um, those packs. We have all this fresh food. Is she gonna like is she gonna rip it apart? Is she, you know, what's gonna Is she gonna step on it? Is she gonna just stay there the whole time? Yeah. I mean, if this thing takes one step onto those packs, it's crashed. Yeah. I mean, that's tons on on, on the pack. So it was just like we thought we were at our lowest. No, our I I mean our hearts just sunk. (laughs) It was just a moment of like, oh fuck. Yes, yes. That is exact shit. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. (laughs) We got saved. She sniffed him, wasn't too interested. A couple minutes went she by. Left. She left, but it was a very tense few minutes. We rushed down to get everything. We brought them up on the patty we decided we were going to camp on, and then we set up everything. We got into the pool, even though by that time it was like, I'm tired, I want to eat, I want to be over with this night. We tried to make, we tried to put a good face on and, and enjoy the rest of it, but it was hard. Yeah. And then... <laughs> and then we had a five-star hotel evening. Yeah, you you made some incredible food. So you made a fire, yeah, like, very close to us. You made a fire, and I decided, like, okay, you know what? Let's just go all fancy with everything we got. And so I decided to make a three-course meal you did. with everything that we had. So we had, like, um, I did kind of an appetizer with uh, peanut and baby tomatoes and, we had and Darjeel- some onions. We had a Darjeeling green tea. We had this... Really excellent green tea with ginger. Oh, I remember that green tea. It was so good. And then after the appetizer... I made like a lentil, rice, tomato, ginger, onion, 
potato and spices with like crushed almonds on top. And this is all fresh produce. Uh, so it's just like it bursts so in your good. mouth with flavor. It's, it's so good. So good. And then, uh, and then I think um, we treated ourselves to cigarettes. I yeah, don't know yeah. why we had cigarettes, but we were just like, we deserve it. Once in a while, you you need yeah, to smoke. Yeah, and this was one of those moments. It, it had been great. a really tough day. And then to finish off, to cap it off, we made some nice creamy hot chocolate with melted peanut butter in it. Yeah, and that was amazing. It was so great. It was so great. And I think it was around the peanut butter time, the, the hot chocolate peanut butter time. Then another yeah. very terrifying animal entered our lives yeah the campfire was attracting a lot of attention but this time it was from insects and we had noticed earlier on the insects here were insane they were massive they were vicious they were like the biggest colors you've ever seen biggest colors and they were just terrifying to look at like they were doing things you didn't understand but you knew were probably very bad dangerous, yeah. or dangerous like everything out here wanted to kill you even the plants wanted to kill you <laughs> you get rashes and I bites got, i got rashes on my body everything for like was, days yeah. it was everything was carnivorous it was like we had walked into a a, a place that was Ju- alive oh, like and it Jumanji. was yeah and it was gonna eat us like that was the plan like this was a big honey trap and we were the foolish travelers that thought it was safe it was a horror movie <laughs> And and the the fire now that it's getting dark is attracting a lot of insects. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I don't know when this happened, but we had seen our first Asian hornet, oh, yeah. and oh my god, it was so big, and it was it was a hornet, but it was jet black, and I, I this thing was inches. We're talking multiple inches, yeah, uh, and wide as well. And it was jet black, and it had a bright orange. Like, uh, like if you know the San Francisco Giants, if yes. you know their jersey, that, that, kind, of that kind of orange head. And you just looked at it, and it just screamed, do not fuck with me. Get the hell away. I'm going to kill you. Yes. That's what it said. That's it was terrifying. Literally. It was so big. And I just couldn't imagine, like, what would happen if that thing decided you were a problem. Yeah. It, it would be bad. So there's insects, like, this crawling all over the place. We're seeing interesting things burrowing into the ground and... Like we're realizing, like okay, uh, this yeah, place is a little. That, it was at that place that we saw this, like this weird, like wasp that was digging a hole in the ground, a big methodically. Hole. Yeah. yeah, big hole. I mean, everything's creepy here, and they have like this machine-like determination. Yes, you know, yes, that's really like unhuman, yeah. inhuman, and uh, and it's very creepy. Yeah, and and. You just get the sense that you're going to get eaten alive here. This was a mistake. We never should have came. And then I'm around the fire. And imagine it's dark out. And I have my headlamp on because I'm a little ways away from the fire. I think I'm brushing my teeth or maybe I'm enjoying the hot chocolate. I don't know. And then I hear it. And it sounds like a helicopter. It sounds like a helicopter is landing right overhead. And the the hum of its wings and it's coming closer. It's just so loud. And I look up into the, the pitch black of the night. And I have my headlamp on. And I just see two... My headlamp is on red light. Yeah. You do this so you don't attract so many insects. And I look up. And just a couple of feet from my head, hovering over my head, I see two bulging bright red insect eyes that I didn't realize it at the time, but the eyes of this insect 
were being were reflecting the red of my headlamp that I had forgotten was on my head. Yeah. And so I look up and I just see the eyes of the devil <laughs> in the pitch black above me with this with this all encompassing hum of his wings and it's it's ter- it terrifying. I think I screamed. I think we both screamed because I heard the sound too and I was terrified. This thing was it was some sort of moth, but it had a wingspan that was like 6 inches long. It was 6 massive. inches wide at the at the least it was huge and it was right over my head it was oh my god it was so scary <laughs> just imagine being pitch black and something coming out of the sky that looks like it has the devil's eyes and is coming after you it phew. <laughs> that that was all I could take. I I, I I I think that's the moment we started running back to the tent. I was I was not gonna take any of this anymore. I was ready for like a shelter and and a good night of sleep. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that is where we're gonna leave you on the second installation of this story, which I think we'll take a break after this one yeah. because it, it's take, it does take a lot of energy, but I've, we really want to give the, we want to honor this story and, and try to give some of the feelings and the experiences. And if you're feeling like we haven't made a lot of progress, well, that's how Nepal feels when you're walking <laughs> through it too, okay? So, so maybe just accept that as part of the experience. <laughs> Wow, thank you for listening. Thank you very much. I don't know how many chapters this this trekking the Himalaya story is going to be, but I I'm really happy that we're taking the time to record this story because it is like a foundational piece of our relationship and I would I want to record it before, you know, it's like 10 years old and I can't remember all the, the things of it. It's know? a lot of fun to tell. And usually we only get to tell it in fragments and, and pieces. You know, maybe you, you'll share a part of it at, over yeah. drinks or something. And it's fun to actually really for the first time tell it in its entirety. And it's such a vivid and full and overwhelming story yeah. that you can probably tell we're, we're getting lost in the details because <laughs> there's so much to it. It was such a rich experience. It was so rich. Well... You know the drill on this. Yes. In fact, we'll just ask you to do one thing. Just one thing today, listeners. Just one thing today. And it'll depend where you are on your journey of the Far Out podcast. (laughs) So if you're new and you haven't already, please subscribe. That's it. Just just subscribe. You're done. Yeah, yeah. We'd love to uh, have an ongoing relationship with you. We'll keep it chill. We'll keep it relaxed. We'll just once a week. That's all. We'll we'll hang out (laughs) and uh, see how things go. You know, if you've already done that, then... Two, please share it with a friend. Just one friend. If you've maybe you've listened to a couple episodes by now, there's a couple different ways to share. Maybe there's one that you just think is entertaining or or you know someone's gonna like. Maybe it's a past episode we did, and you know one person that's gonna appreciate that one episode for one reason. Just spread the love. Just send it to that person, send that one, send a line out. Or maybe we talk about something that you'd like to talk about with somebody. So maybe you send it as a way to get into a deeper conversation related between you and that person. Mm -hmm. Either way, if something resonates with you, or if you think of someone else while you're listening to this, send it to them. And number three, if you've done both those things, you can definitely rinse and repeat on number two. But if you've done both those things, then why don't you leave us a review? Do that. I know there's a few of you out there that are like, yeah, that's probably they're they're probably talking to me now. They're (laughs) probably talking to me. Yes, I'm talking to you. Leave us a review. It really, really helps us grow. It helps us get new uh, listeners and uh, kind of expand the conversation. 
and and we're having a lot of fun with that. So we'll hope you help us. Toodles. Toodles. And then soon.